everyone, in this episode I'm going to be having a conversation with Shane Simpson and his buddy Ryan Carpenter about blood trails. If you're not already familiar, Shane has his own YouTube channel called Shane Simpson Hunting where he's got tons of turkey hunting content, deer hunting content, and he also has a series called The Cali Chronicles that shows him and his blood trailing dog Cali looking for deer that people have hit. Because Shane has a tracking dog and he goes out and helps out a bunch of people try to find their deer, he gets a lot of experience looking at different blood trails. He also writes down a lot of data about each track that he goes on, and his buddy Ryan helped him kind of organize that a little bit. So together, we just have a conversation about blood trails, and hopefully it helps you out this season. So to try to combat mainstream social media censorship, we partnered with the social media platform Go Wild. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So visit downloadgowild.com to get started. So now that it's July, we're in the heat of the summer scouting season. And really, for the most part, for us, summer scouting means spending a lot of time glassing. At THP, we use Vortex Optics because they have an awesome warranty. In a nutshell, their lifetime warranty covers you if anything happens to your binoculars. No matter what happens to them, even if you break them, you can send them in and they'll either fix them or replace them for you. And because of that, we trust Vortex Optics. Probably one of my favorite pairs of binoculars that I've ever had is the Diamondback HD 15x56 binoculars from Vortex. When we're out scouting in the summer or hunting out west early in the season, it's really nice to have a pair of binoculars with a little bit more magnification. So I started using these 15x56. I really think they're awesome for summer scouting if you're out west or they're just nice to have in the truck at all times. That way if you're driving around and you see something at a distance, you can really get in there and get a good look at it. If you have any interest in Vortex Optics, we can actually save you 10% off. All you gotta do is click the link in the description of this podcast or go over to eurooptic.com and use the code THP10. Also, next week, we're gonna have some really exciting news with our friends from Bear Archery. There's going to be a new bow on the line, so we're excited to present that to you guys next week. So keep that in mind, and if you want to save 10% off of all bear equipment, you just go over to their website, beararchery.com, and use the code THP10, and that will save you 10% off all their bows. All right, guys, let's get Shane and Ryan on the line and start talking blood trailing. Hey, there you are. Uh, <laughs> can you hear us okay? I hear you. So Ryan, correct? Yeah, Ryan, yeah. Ryan Carpenter. Ryan Carpenter. Next door neighbors with Shane Simpson. No. <laughs> yeah, no. What are we? Probably about about ten miles apart or so, but pretty close. That's pretty close. That's pretty close. It's about fifteen minutes drive. Yeah, a, that's about next door neighbors, at least in the in a metro environment. Yeah. Yeah. It is. <laughs> exactly. Ryan heard me on the Southern Outdoorsman podcast, I believe it was. Was that the one? Yeah, it was Southern Ground or something. Uh, yeah, I heard him and it sucked. Jacob Meyer, I think. Southern Southern Outdoorsman. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, yeah, and I just remember hearing his, his accent and then he said something about living in Minnesota. And I was like, 
oh yeah, I had to turn this up, you know, because I, <laughs> I, I probably listen to like four hours of podcasts a day working. And yeah, then he started talking about stats and I'm like, that's, I'm totally into this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, gosh, and the guy only lives like 10 miles from me. It's like, I'm going to try to maybe send him a, a message or something. So I sent him a message. Then about a week later, I just sent one more and uh, about Five months later, I think he got in touch with me. Yeah. <laughs> and then he said, hey, I'm going turkey hunting. I'll be back by June. Hit me up then. Hit me up then. And then I think by about end of July, I got a hold of him. So yeah, he heard one me. year later. <laughs> yeah, we, were, we were talking about stats. And I was like, man, I, as, if there's anybody in, out there who wants to look at all these stats and do something with them, get in like, touch with me. And I just kind of sent off the cuff. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a message. Hey, yeah. Man. It's like, all right, if you want to do all that work, that's fine. Yeah. I can't pay you. You're doing the work. <laughs> I'm just playing with numbers. That's cool. Yeah, I was I was checking out the sheet that you guys sent, and I'm sure we'll cover tons of that. The main focus is just to try to help people, you know, in bow hunting, right? Like, no, I have what I shoot, and, you know, Aaron has what he shoots, and, you know, I'm always just trying to learn more. And I don't think we're ever trying to, like, put – uh, a right or wrong on anything we just always talk about our experiences and then try to pull from other people's experiences so that's like my entire goal with this is not necessarily to say maybe to say something is you know better than the other but you know it's all really ultimately opinion that's what that's what i like to kind of keep in mind yeah let people yeah, make a, absolutely make their own decision based on what they're seeing and and just like you you know look at these stats you know it would suggest here lately as I've gotten more and more stats that maybe mechanicals are not such a bad idea, but my personal experience, I would never use them again because I've shot them four times at deer and I've shot, you know, hundreds of deer, not maybe hundreds, but 150 or something like that would fix. Mm-hmm. And I never really had a problem until I shot those four deer with a mechanical mm-hmm. and I found all of them. It's mm-hmm. just, I didn't ask with any of them. And so I, that's kind of my experience and why I'm leery to use them. Yeah. And we just were talking with, uh, we were down in Texas, like we've done the last few years hunting with Ranch Ferry down there, and we were trying to figure out ideas for content before we went down there. And it's like we ought to just talk about at length our experiences with mechanical broadheads because we, at one point or another, were all shooting fixed blades, and then we went to mechanicals for you know, and again, one reason or another, and then um, we all ultimately ended up back at fixed blades. and. I guess real quick, I would just point out like in a, in a quick summary, what led us down this path of heavier arrow with a fixed broadhead is, is like we worked at Midwest whitetail and we had a pro staff there of like a hundred people. So we were constantly getting all this footage. So not only were we getting our own experiences, but we were also seeing all this video footage that we can sit there and put on a computer in a, in a, uh, editing software and watch it frame by frame zoom it in you know and really pick apart the hit and what the arrow is doing a lot of times too guys are using um a lighted knock so you can see the trajectory of that arrow and stuff like that so i guess in summary without going into too much detail because we're going to come out with some sort of content with about this too um is we all started noticing some sort of deflection upon hitting the deer now sometimes that was as extreme as or or as minimal as it would go in at one angle and come out maybe a little bit further back or further forward mostly back 
<laughs> unfortunately. But um, that's but, not really a bad thing tracking with a dog, though. <laughs> yeah, right. So then um, we'd have some sort of deflection, as as minimal as that, or as extreme as hitting like front side animal and deflecting backwards and not getting you know hitting square in the rib cage right you know right in the in the spot that ultimately you're you're aiming for is you know the rib cage right and just yeah. having this major deflection so it's usually the only bone you ever want to hit is a rib yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so you know when you're having problems on the front end of that it kind of Makes you a little bit leery, I suppose. So ultimately, we all had bad experiences one way or another, and then watched countless bad experiences. But, but I really want to hear from you guys and what you know you guys are seeing as far as tracking. You know, I think that's going to make a you know help make people make their own opinions too. You know, I told Ryan, and I didn't know how much he was going to be involved in this, but I wanted to have him here because he is this. Uh, statistical genius over here I, I i still look at these numbers and sometimes i get confused by all of it and it, he straightens me out well it, it it even i question it sometimes to go what are we looking at here because we're trying to slice and dice everything you know everybody's interested with you know well what's the percentage of fixed blades versus this with pass-throughs when it's at this poundage and, and it's kind of like baseball stats you know when it's uh you know 70 degrees out you know and you you're just using these weird stats not related to baseball necessarily trying to come up with you know oh this person's going to hit a home run does hey, every time hey you know isn't, um, it, isn't it amazing what kind of stats they come up with in baseball oh it's not they'll just you know, be like you know the first time the, the last time somebody hit a home run on a curveball in the second inning on a tuesday in june you know it's like what do you hot dogs were in concession and <laughs> yeah and that's that's exactly what so it's you know what and they usually hit a home run right about then yeah and, and they will because but you know it when when putting this i think we both were kind of taken back a little bit because we we figured well it's going to probably go one way or the other and I mean, it's still up to interpretation for the most part. I mean, ultimately, I think your setup is based on, you know, really what you're confident in. Um, but it definitely suggests some things here that are important. And especially for tracking. It, yeah, exactly. And less and it's almost less about the equipment and more about you know, how, the approach after the shot, are you, are you going and trying to track something yourself? Are you getting your buddies immediately over, you know, it's, it's like that type that we notice like just a huge drop in probability of recovery mm -hmm. when you're doing grid searching right off the bat. Yeah. So, yeah. So Shane, why don't you talk about real quick, like the protocol, if somebody's to shoot a deer and they're unsure about the shot or even if they're sure, what, what's your opinion on like the protocol? Arrow goes off, hits deer. Now what? Well, I mean, it, you know, if you're not sure where you hit it, you know, and and I'm a advocate for getting a dog whenever it's you know convenient for you. Sometimes it, you may have to jump through hoops. They may be hours away, or you know, may be late at night. You know, whatever the situation may be. But if it's fairly convenient for you to get a dog on it, and you don't know where you hit the deer, you're unsure about the shot. I'm calling a tracker. You know, and they and I'll say this up front because this is biggest concern about people getting trackers is what is the cost mm -hmm. and most trackers don't charge anything they take tips uh, there are some guys that do it for uh, you know extra income and so you may see fees of 200 or 300 dollars or more 
but the vast majority of trackers do it for free and just accept tips or they charge a small fee to come out there and cover their field or whatever. They love doing it just like, you know, if you're a deer hunter, you love deer hunting, they love tracking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so if you don't know where you hit it, you're unsure, obviously I'd get a tracker. The, uh, if you don't have a tracker or even if you're getting a tracker, back out immediately. You leave the track clean. The, the less disturbance you make on the, the deer, the deer's escape route, the better odds of a dog finding it um, if it comes to that point because as you're tracking a deer your boots and stuff are gathering the scent molecules from that injured deer and that's what the dog's going to be tracking blood and uh, the, the other odors that an injured deer releases and, and you'll get it on your boots and then you'll start leaving false trails out there where the you know the dog's going to think okay the deer went this way when it actually didn't um, and then you, you need wait times. Uh, so like if you hit a shot, and you saw where it hit, maybe liver or guts. Um, I'm, I used to give like 10 hours for eight to 10 hours for liver or six to eight hours or something like that. And then 12 hours for gut. It's, it's seeming like most of the deer I come up on alive or, or liver shot and they seem to, to last longer than the gut shot. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at the point now that I'm going to give liver shots and, and gut shots the same amount of time, at least. 12 hours you know mm-hmm. weather's going to play a factor in that a little bit if it's really hot i may try to push that envelope a little bit um that's kind of the right out of the gate some of the things i'm looking for you need to leave the track clean and and then um and you can call a tracker and get advice on this stuff even yeah. if you're unsure what to do next right yeah i think i think that um the wait times are really important and something if you're new to shooting deer with a bow something you got to keep in mind like time is is generally in your favor obviously that's going to vary like you said with weather that's the one thing that's the one thing that i would say i get hung up on personally a little bit i know like aaron and i have talked about this over the years a lot is it's tough because it can really easily um or really quickly i guess turn into bumping a deer because you're going too early or not able to recover the meat because you're going too late, right? Yeah. So it's it's always just such a fine line. And I think uh, the the one thing that I always think, and, I, and I'm probably, I'm honestly probably the dog tracker's worst nightmare guy. Like, I'm like, I want to do it all myself. You know, I don't want, I don't want all this commotion in here. I don't want, you know, I don't want to bring any extra people in necessarily unless it was a last resort. So I would always be the type of guy to where if I was going to call a tracker, I feel like I'd always be the last resort, which I know probably isn't setting yourself up for, for the best opportunity where you're saying, you know, leave a track clean. Like I'm, I would be the type of guy that I'd have already been in there at some point or another looking for myself and then would be like, okay, well, last, last resort. With, with that said, a, a, a tracking team shouldn't be your last resort, but it doesn't necessarily need to be your first resort, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, grid searching i would rate as your last resort yes where you come in there with your buddies because if you grid searching you'll see in the stats tremendously uh, negatively affects our success rate because there's so many false trails now and you disturb the scent trail so much that it makes it mm-hmm. very difficult for that dog to trail that deer and um and and you've also you know gone into areas that you know where the deer may have been and maybe bumped it or whatever but i back to your 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 thing about um wanting it to be last resort if you know you made a good hit 
and or you think you made a good hit, there's nothing wrong with with tracking it to some degree. Mm-hmm. Or if you think it was a marginal hit and you decide to wait on your own six hours, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it, it's okay to go in there and track on your own. But if it was me, I would at least get a tracker's ear on it and say, hey, what is your availability tomorrow? Right. You know, uh, don't wait until after you've waited six hours and then you go track it and then you try to get a tracker. Now he's booked up with other tracks, um, you know, and obviously a tracker is going to tell you if you call him, yeah, go ahead and have me come out with the dog, you know. <laughs> right. But again, like I said earlier, they're not, they usually don't charge anything, just the tip. So if you're, if you want to, to have your best odds of recovering that deer, you know, what's 60 bucks, 40 bucks, you know, tip the guy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to come out there and, and have him find it, especially in like warmer weather. You know how it is. Y'all track deer. Oh, yeah. Yards and how long it takes to track it. A dog finds it in two minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I guess I should say too, when I say last resort, I I am thinking more along the lines of what you said. So it's so I guess the progression would be okay. Let's say I think it's marginal as far as let's just say liver for the sake of a, a shot placement, and maybe even liver one let's month. Just say, let's just say guts. Okay, sure. Because you're likely not going to have a blood trail to follow. Right. Right. So if that was the case, I would wait. And if I knew it was just straight back, I would just pull out immediately. I wouldn't go after it right away. I mean, that's one of those deals where, you know, trusting what my eye sees, I'm going to say. Um, and this is, this is also theoretical as in I don't have somebody filming with me, right? So it's like, trust what my eye sees. I know it's back. I'm just going to back right out of there. There's no point necessarily in, unless I could get a visual, but I'm thinking timber too. You know, it's like if he just runs into the abyss of the woods, just leave him go, pull out, and then give it probably, you know, like you said, somewhere around that, you know, maybe probably 12-ish hours, you start to go in, you got a couple drops, then all of a sudden it starts to kind of fizzle into nothing that's when I'm calling the tracker, right? Yeah. That's when, or like you said, probably beforehand, I've, I've at least, you know, communicated with somebody saying, Hey, this is my situation. What's your availability tomorrow? Um, and that, that, I guess that's a progression. Then, like you said, then you go grid search afterwards. I guess I just mean, uh, it's a, it's a very difficult decision whether to get a tracker on it or not, mm-hmm. you know, um, I've, you know, I have, I have a dog and I, and even when I'm shooting my own deer, I still want to keep tracking it on my own a lot of times. And it's hard to finally make that decision. Like you're done tracking. You've got to back out. You've got to right. get a dog on this. It's a very difficult decision, even though they're free a lot of times, right. you know, and I have a dog, so yeah. it's just, you know, it's, it's a hard decision to make. And uh, so I understand it when a lot of hunters are, reluctant to get us in there it's it's interesting too because i think I, I i sometimes think that a little bit of it's just stubborn right like i can i can honestly say that about myself where i'm like i'm probably just a little bit stubborn i think oh i'm gonna be able to find this deer on my own and like maybe sometimes i can but there's gonna be other times where i'm absolutely can't and i absolutely need a dog so it, i would say you know if you've got the availability you know, or, or, you know, you've got a tracker available, definitely be in contact. It's the safer move. I just, I just know that I'm a bit stubborn when it comes to it, but, but I'm also, you know, realizing that it's an awesome resource and it's something that people should absolutely take advantage of because 
there's just so many variables and you just never know. And track and tracks are like it seems like there's never the same. I want to I want to get into some of the you know some of the interesting things that you guys have found. Um, I guess next, like talk about some of these stats that you guys have come up with and some of the things that stick out to you guys as the most interesting things because um, obviously we talked about like we all have opinions, but what are some of the things you guys are seeing as far as um, where the hits are and how, you know, what, how successful you are at finding those and, and, and all, all of the above, I guess. Well, I'll, I'll start it off here a little bit and then I'll let Ryan take over since he's my statistician. Uh, <laughs> um, so this is just for my tracks. Um, over the last five years, we had a year we didn't do very many tracks. So um, I, I usually average somewhere between 30 and 40 tracks a year. Mm-hmm. I think this you know, 151 tracks. Is this just OK? This is for guns and bows. Yes. And um, there was only a few firearm tracks in here, like four or five, maybe. Um, and then you'll see we'll we'll break it down to just compound bows only. Um, so then that's a, a smaller sample size just to kind of get away from some of the variables like pass-throughs or not, you know, a bullet pass-through versus an arrow pass-through is totally different. <laughs> right, right. Um, so 151 tracks that we did, um, or I did in the last five years, uh, we recovered 45% of those. And that's, uh, that's a, actually a really good success rate for a leash tracking dog, uh, down South and other States where they can run dogs off leash to track. They have a higher success rate because, you know the dogs out there it makes it easier for you you right, can just right. let the dog run off and, and find the deer sometimes being a leash tracker we pull the dog off the track prematurely and we don't know that yep so and not always i mean i very rarely leave deer out there that anyone finds later most of the time if we don't find a deer it shows back up on trail camera later you know a week or two later still alive um anyway out of those 40 um 151 tracks we recovered 45 percent of them um 42% were, you want to just want to run through these stats here? Sure. So yeah. I don't talk the so, entire time. Yeah. For, well, 42% of them uh, were specific to just compound bows. So uh, say 45 out of 107 that were compound bows. Um, so 42% there. And then crossbows, we had 33 of those and recovered 48%. So overall, the recovery rates were just under 50%. And um, the largest sample size obviously was from uh, the compound bows. Um, Looking at the, and I'll just go over here to the track quality, but um, 21% of the tracks were clean, but that was a 56% recovery rate. Then when we go into a, let me explain real quick what yeah. clean means. Yeah, someone's wondering. I think most people know what it is. It means the hunter basically shot a deer. At the very, at the very, uh, at at the most, they walked over and looked at their arrow, and then they backed out. Mm-hmm. Most of them just call. Some of them call from the stand actually, and, and they just backed out. So those are clean tracks. And then the other mm-hmm. tracks were like tracked, like you tracked at a certain distance, yeah. and then other grid search. That's the three categories. Anyway, sorry. So yeah, when um, we look at the ones that were actually tracked and then they backed out, they didn't grid search yet, but they did track it. They didn't see sign, they backed out. Um, that was uh, 40% of the tracks that happened to, but um, we actually had, Shane had 65% recovery off of that. So um, pretty decent recovery. 
uh, throughout that. And then uh, once we got to a grid search, which was 39% um, of the overall tracks, it dropped down to 19% recovery. So, so basically, the trends and the stats show exactly what you said. Yeah, it, I want to touch on one of them here yeah. in the middle because you, you see 21% of all my calls or tracks I took were for clean tracks, and we recovered 56% of those. And then the 40% of calls we got that I tracked were previously tracked. So they were somewhat dirty tracks, you know, mm-hmm. not totally clean. Uh, and we recovered a higher percentage of those, 65%. And, and Ryan and I were discussing this, and I think the reason is, is because on those tracks, most of those hunters thought they made a pretty good shot, or at least good enough to be tracking it. And so there's probably, and this is just speculation, those, that uh, portion of the tracks mm-hmm. probably were hit better. Mm-hmm. As the ones where the tracks are clean, the reason they backed out immediately is because they know they made a big deal. Yeah, so yeah. you're less likely to find some of those deer. So that's why it kind of jumps up to mm-hmm. the, the ones that are tracked. And then the grid searched. Um, some of those, um, I think there was like two of them later found by hunters mm-hmm. that we just couldn't find. The dog couldn't break through the grid search. Um, but overall, once, you know, it's such a low recovery rate, when you shoot a deer, then you track it, and then you call your buddies, um, you've not only disturb the scent trail, but you've, you know, it takes a progression of time to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So now you've gotten to the point where it's 20 hours, 24 hours later. Now you call a tracker. Now the scent itself is, uh, the scent molecules are starting to be destroyed by the sun, the wind, and what other elements. So it makes it difficult to recover those deer. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, Shane, I think you could go over the track distance too. I think you got the best. Okay, so this is the average tracking distances, Um, and feel free to interject and and ask questions about any of these categories about as we go, but on average, um, the average distance for all tracks to where we had last confirmation that the deer went here, a drop Mm -hmm. of blood. The deer may have gone farther, the dog may have been picking up scent, but at the point where I had to stop, or let me back up. At the point where I stopped the dog and then had to measure from the last visible sign, like a speck of blood or something, or a hoof print or whatever, the average is 324 yards. That's for all tracks combined. Um, the total distance, or average total distance for recovered deer was 366 yards. So on average, when we found a deer, they were 366 yards from where they were shot. <laughs> Quite a distance. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really surprising stat right there to me i was reading that earlier and i was like really i would have honestly assumed that it would have been more like 180 would be my just initial gut guess because you know you see them go anywhere from 50 yards to occasionally well you know and i guess i assumed that maybe maybe that's me assuming too much that these are hits that are or, or some percentage of these hits are hits that are better than what the hunter thinks but no, that's I, not true either. I've got at least one track that was over a mile in there, and, and I removed it uh, from the equation at one point, and it really didn't affect the average total because there's so many um, consistent ones in that ballpark mm-hmm. and some shorter ones. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, if a deer goes more than 100 yards, you know, then you got problems. I've shot plenty of deer perfect. You know, I've hard shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last five or six deer maybe the last five or six out of the last seven deer I've shot have been hard shots. Mm-hmm. 
and they've gone anywhere from 60 to over well over 100 yards you know so mm -hmm. it 100 yards is nothing for a deer to cover in just a few seconds oh yeah yeah and that's that's the other thing it's like distance can be deceiving in the grand scheme of it like deer takes off running and you can watch 75 of those you know 200 yeah. 212 yards or whatever it may be it's like if you can see a big portion of that then that kind of messes with i guess you know, your how, perception and how, how long how far can a deer run in in a minute or two minutes oh yeah i mean tons and tons that, of ground that deer i shot this past november the one with the target in his antlers mm -hmm. i think he lived for about a minute and 30 seconds after the shot he, he ran out there 60 mm -hmm. yards and stood there for, I thought, did I have a bad hit? But when I, when I cleaned him, he double long man heart shot. So, yeah. I mean, so this a hundred yards is really nothing in the, uh, in as far as a deer going somewhere, even with a good shot. Um, anyway, back to average distances here, 289 yards is the average total distance for combination on a non-recovered deer. So, so that's, you know, we got there and we looked for two or three hours and we had to stop because we can't find the deer. And we measured to the last visible sign back to the deer stand. And this is not as the crow flies. This is the path that the deer took. 289 yards is the average. So, you know, you get to that point, we get 300 yards. I, my thinking is when I'm out there tracking, if I get past 400 yards, that average of 366, um, and I haven't seen a dead deer, then I start worrying, okay, um, this deer, they normally, even if you bump them, they normally don't go but a few hundred yards more. Mm -hmm. um, you find them. I start getting worried when those distances get beyond, you know, 400 yards. For, um, on average, Callie and myself, my tracking dogs, we uh, advanced tracks 173 yards on average. So even if you lost sight of, you know, blood or tracks or whatever, we were able to advance it with visible sign at the end of it, you know, one speck of blood or wound bed. Say the deer actually made it to this point. We uh, advanced to 173 yards on average. Maybe explain what, what you mean by advanced. Okay, so the hunter, yeah, it's good. Uh, the hunter goes out there and shoots the deer. He tracks it three or four hundred yards. Mm -hmm. He loses blood. Loses, loses the blood Sticks trail. Sticks a zero in or yeah, something. Yeah, puts a camouflage hat hanging from a limb that I have to find in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> Bring toilet paper. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, from that point, on average, we've, we've advanced it with visible sign confirmation, uh, an additional, on average, 173 yards. That could be actually the deer. Right, you know, right. Visible sign would be the deer. So the next one would be... And, that, and important to note, too, this is average. Like, So in some situations, that might be they found last blood and you went 50 yards and found the deer, correct? Yeah. This, this is over 151. Right. Yeah, there's been some I've advanced. Uh, the one I've advanced a mile. Yep. Um, he, he tracked it for a third of a mile, let's say, uh, a few hundred yards, and I advanced another mile. The, most of them I advanced it. I would say, I, I guess I shouldn't say most, but there's a lot, a lot of them that I advanced, you know, anywhere from 700 to 1,000 yards. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's a lot that, you know, the guys back out because they're playing it smart. They didn't bump the deer. It was a gut shot, for instance. That deer didn't go but another 150 yards, 200 yards, and, and mm -hmm. it's laying right there. So mm -hmm. um, it, there's a lot of variables in there to, to make that, that average where it's at. For a uh, recovered deer, we advanced the track on the average 244 yards. And then for non-recovered deer, the average advancement with visible sign was 116 yards. And then the two together makes, I guess, the 173-yard average for all tracks. So 
you know, we're that that seems like a small number for the non-recovered deer. They only advanced at 117 yards. That's just a visible sign. Um, they they may have tracked it, you know, a few hundred yards with specks of blood. If the deer stops bleeding, you know, obviously they call a dog in because they can't find blood. Right. Dog can't talk to me and say, hey, hey Shane, I still smell the right. deer yards down the trail. I have to mark where the last speck of blood I find. So yeah. that number is going to be low sometimes. Sure. You know? If yeah. they had blood, a lot of times they'd keep tracking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the part that, uh, I think if you are in a hunting situation and you lose blood, it's time to immediately, like even in my stubbornness, like I mentioned earlier, as soon as you lose blood, that's time to be done. Like it's time to not walk any further. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No matter, you know, because it's like at that point, you're only going to create more problems for the dog like you said if you're just rolling around on the ground you know crawling on hands and knees going through these tr- these trails and and it's know, also a time consumption thing i mean right unless i mean i see people all, a lot that say well i can track a deer just by looking twigs broke and tracks i'm like how tedious is that oh yeah <laughs> i mean you're wasting a lot of time that that deer meat could be spoiled wasting a lot of time and then also on top of it too i mean or one other important thing to note i guess is you know, that's that's thinking of like a a hit that is back or like a gut shot deer, because there's also the deer that I and I this is questions that I want to re- revisit. But I've hit the majority of the deer that I've hit and not recovered. A hundred percent of them actually have been high hits, where I either did confirm because I saw the deer later or um, somebody else did or whatever, but where non lethal hit too high. And in that situation, you know, there's, I guess there's not a lot that you can do if the deer is going to live and it's just a flesh wound, but we're talking gut shot where it's like, you know, that hit was back center of the body. It got into the organs. You lose blood. It's time to back out of there. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I yep. do want to ask you again, but once we're done with that, I do kind of want to talk about some of the, uh, shot you know, placement and some of the kind of common questions I feel like I hear, but we'll revisit that here in a minute. Sure. Well, I'm done with the average tracking. You can pick up on the pass through stats. Okay. And the probability of recovery. Cause he has a cool little thing that I can, uh, that he created for me where I can drop in like variables, like how old, I don't know what all the, I can't remember. Yeah. But the variables would be like how old the track is, where was it hit, mechanical or fixed. Um, was it a pass-through? Pass-through or not. And it'll spit out a, uh, the, the hunter's like confidence in the shot, how confident they are that they actually hit where they say they hit, you know. And it'll spit out like this one here. It was, uh, and are you are you capturing that screen right now? No, I'm not. Okay, no. well, we'll, we we'll get you some of this footage of the screen so people can see it later. But um, what's the variables so, here? Yeah, so like age of track, how many hours, um, if it was grid searched or not, uh, specifically grid searched, um, if it was a pass-through, uh, the most likely area you think you hit. So we have it broke down to, is it a single lung, a double lung, a liver, gut, heart? Um, and we just go off of that. Oh, and then we have a hunter's confidence level. So when you're talking to him or they, him and not over, I think uh, I it was kind of, <laughs> you know, it, it happened so fast. Um, and then they say, well, I'm, I'm three and a half hours away. And then Shane thinks, well, let me run the probability here. <laughs> let me see if I want to hop in my car or not. Yeah, that's good. Um, but, but yeah, it gives a, uh, um, basically a safe percentage. And this is based on all of his history. 
So we're running it off of actual data. And then every year we update it and it just makes it a little bit more accurate. But really all it's doing is kind of providing a gauge as to I, I feel good about this. I think we will recover it or it's probably not in your favor. It's it's you know, we'll come out. Shane will come out and it will. Yeah, and I will say this like that one he just went through shows a probability of recovery of 45 mm-hmm. percent. The deer, the deer was is killed, and and the scent trail is not so mucked up that, mm-hmm. that we may not find it. Now, I will say this to the viewers: I don't filter my tracks based on this. This to me is more no. like a game. Like I'll have the other trackers in our See private chat. It's like give me some stats on what your call is, and and I'll tell you probability after you're done with it. Yeah. And say. Yeah, we didn't find it. We jumped it at you know 800 yards. It was still alive. You know, it was flesh wound. You know, it was non-lethal hit. And I'll say the probability of recovery on that was 15. percent You know, you know. So we mm. kind of use it that as more of a right. uh, kind of a game for myself right now. I don't say 15. percent I'm not taking that track. Right, I take right. right, right, right. You're but, just uh, kind of using it to learn to see how see how accurate it is based off yeah, of past experiences. Because I have my own assumptions. Yeah. I'll, I'll think in my head, okay, we may not find this deer, and then and then this kind of does the same thing as my own thinking. Right, and that's what I've always thought. You know, in the past, like uh, you know, liver shot, guts, you know, and you're kind of iffy on it. And after running this and seeing what the regression does, just based on 151 of his tracks, it's like. Actually, it's not a bad deal. No. You know, if that happens if you're smart about it. Um, it's pretty guaranteed you're going to find that yeah. deer. For gut shots, it's for a tracker. It's, we I love mean, gut shot yeah. calls because it's such a high probability of recovery. Right. And you don't have, they're not usually leaving a blood trail. So the hunter can't bump the deer usually. They follow mm-hmm. it, you know, looking for blood for 40 or 50 yards and then they back out and call us. It's a clean track. A gut shot deer usually put off a lot more odor. It's a lot easier for the deer to the dog to follow the deer, and so we have. You know, at one point I was 100% success rate on those deer, and then we had a couple we didn't find, but they got bumped and bumped and bumped, and mm-hmm. um, they were so far away they, you know, we never found it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get calls. Guy says gut shot. You know, I'm I remember one in particular. His, his son shot it, and he had cell phone footage of it. Right. And so um, he sends me a little screenshot of, of the deer after the hit, and you can see a dark shadow back here. It looks like blood coming out, or a really dark blood back towards the guts. I tracked that deer, and we found blood, but it didn't look like a gut shot because there was no gut matter, and the blood there was more blood than what you usually find on a gut shot. But I continued tracking, and we eventually lost the trail and couldn't get the dog to follow it anymore. And I had him send me the cell phone footage and give me a copy of it. when i got home and opened it up in adobe premiere and could watch it frame by frame slow motion he he hit it right across the top of the back mm-hmm. <laughs> it explains why there was much more blood his muscle hit yeah the shadow was actually like the leg moving in the height and so here i was potentially you know what i thought i was so bummed afterwards because i was like yeah we're gonna find this deer for this this young hunter right you know, afterwards i was like man we let him down yeah you know? yeah that's one of the things we face the hunter thinks they hit somewhere and they hit, hit totally different it's a uh, funny story. My, my buddy shot one last year, two years ago, and, and filmed it. And he didn't, he, I think his eyes were shut when he shot it. You know, it was a huge deer. And he's just like, okay, we got film of it, though. I went back and looked. He's like, what do you think of the placement? And you could see it. Like, it just looks like it goes perfectly. And watched it over and over. 
And he goes, you know what? He goes, I, I don't think that's my arrow. And I'm like, well, it looks like it's just going perfect. It was his milkweed that he was throwing out. And then it came back and around and it got right in front of the camera. And at that time, and so when we looked on the actual TV, you could see where the arrow went. And it was low and basically like it was almost like a leg hit and never recovered him. But we thought, you know, it was that milkweed. We thought that's what it was. It was just going right in front of the camera. But yeah, so yeah, I mean, so. it just goes to show even when you're video and stuff that your your mind can still get fooled. And I think that's that is so important when shooting deer in general is like always keep in mind that you don't. I mean, a lot of times you can tell. But you don't always know for sure, you know, always be a little bit, uh, at, at least uh, cautious, I guess, if, if you're not totally, po- I mean, until you see a deer go down, uh, always be cautious, right? That's what I think. It's like, if you see him crash and burn and you got nothing to worry about, but otherwise always be a little cautious. Just assume the worst, yeah. yeah. That drinking gets going, it's, uh, it's easy to, um, to see something different than what actually happened. Oh, totally. And I, I encourage people to use lighted knocks, but. Oh, that's yeah. one of my stats that's not in here. It's the, 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 I was keeping track of how accurate hunters were once we recovered deer, where they said they hit and where it actually hit. That's interesting. And, and, and the guys that were using a lot of knots were so far more accurate as far as I think I hit right behind the shoulder, maybe a little bit high. That's where it usually where they hit. The guys that weren't using a lot of knock, oh, it's right behind the shoulder. And it was in the, you know, the, in the rear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's easy to without a lot of not those arrows are flying so fast, especially oh, with the, yeah. cross, the crossbows hunters. Are usually, like I don't know where I hit. You yeah, know, have a lot of not. Yeah, that's but interesting. Stupid, it doesn't fall off in flight, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> having your daughter, daughter yeah. once, yeah. Um, but now we're going. Uh, what passers? Yeah, let's move. All right, so this is in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, so this is passers, and we're still looking at compound crossbows, and just maybe what four or five i think uh um in total firearm um stats in here but basically uh um yeah they did did, those four or five firearms didn't affect the it didn't do anything percentages at all um so of the 151 uh 58 percent were pass-throughs um 59 percent of the pass-throughs were recovered so looking at that you're looking at you know, a higher rate of pass-throughs. And then once you get a pass-through, the chance is 59% recovery. Um, and then, uh, um, but looking at 75% of just the recovered deer, they had pass-throughs. So we're kind of flipping the stat on that one. So we're first looking at the, f- the full sample of pass-throughs. How many of those were recovered? 59% were, but once we know that a deer was recovered, then it was 75% of those recovered deer actually had the pass-through. And, and one of the things that affects the stats is because, you know, we, we know a lot of times if it was a pass-through because they recovered their arrow, but if they didn't recover their arrow or find their arrow, we may not, we, I put it down as non-pass-through until we recover the deer, then you see the exit hole and somewhere along the line, the arrow came out. And so these are not necessarily complete pass-throughs like the arrow zipped through it. Right. It pokes right. holes in it, and the arrow may have got pulled out later. But 
But that that stat did confuse me at first. I was like, how's there seventy five percent of pastors on recovered deer when there's only you know, but fifty nine percent pastors. That's why I have Yeah, <laughs> we're starting yeah with a, a larger sample size of just pastors. It was or it wasn't. Um, if it was, then it was fifty nine percent recovered. But then just boiling it down to the ones we truly recovered. Um, and I say we at Shane, uh, 75 percent. Well, we worked on stats together, so. so. So, so I think I think that's probably the most interesting point. It is to me because when I go back to all those experiences I talked about at the very beginning, it was just time and time again, just this like arrow that's sticking way out, you know. And, and always the excuse was, "Oh, it hit the offside shoulder." And I'm like, you know, it kind of gets to a point where it's like, is that even true? Especially when you start finding these deer in the in the the exit or where the arrow is kind of caught in the hide on the offside is further back. So it's like, what's well, not getting caught in the shoulder. It's just not passing through. And some of them are like, you know, I see some of these videos, uh, uh, hunting videos and they're like eight inches of penetration. I'm like, they didn't even make it to the offside shoulder. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I, I guess it's, uh, interesting that it's, I guess in your experiences, at least it's proven that a pass through, is gonna bump your odds of finding a deer. Would yes, you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and this is with a tracking dog. So we're, a lot of times we're not even using blood to follow the deer. We're just using the scent. Um, so you know, and my thinking is two holes, and most people thinking is two holes better than one. Especially your exit one's gonna be lower. It's gonna be a little drain hole. This mm -hmm. is probably the most lopsided stat that I have when it comes to you know, like when you're looking at. You know, wait times or fixed versus mechanicals and, and other variables. Pass-throughs are so lopsided to a complete pass-through or a pass-through yeah. where two holes are involved is so much better than a non-pass-through mm -hmm. recovering your deer. When you also have to wonder, too, like if if I were to shoot a deer and get a pass-through and I, I, you know, and I, I go check the blood and it looks pretty good, I mean, what are the odds that I'm going to call you? Right. right. I mean, like, like that's, that's, I think that you, you eliminate a big number of, of, of pass through finds just because you're not present for them because yeah. you don't need the dog for it. Right. I mean, we discussed that. Yeah. It's kind of the idea of this is the, they're already in a bad position or they're, they're calling, you know, somebody to, to help them find their deer, yeah. you know, it didn't, it's, so we're not seeing the stats where it, dropped flat you know we saw him drop in sight you know well what what was that but out of 151 you know tracks i feel that you know we this still speaks to something you know it's not just to a point of okay well we couldn't find our deer now what's the odds of finding it with the tracker it's i still feel in general if you shoot a deer these these statistics still make sense yeah i, I just thought of something i don't know how quick it would be for you to pull up uh one of the things i i tell people on a pass you know you, you see people say oh it's the air stuck in there it's doing more damage as it's moving around that that is not true that air arrow is not cutting anything in most cases tim um, wells spear through the the, the <laughs> what I tell, yeah what i tell people is you get a clean pass through a lot of times that deer just feels a little pinch and they settle down sooner and they bed down sooner. So usually you don't track them as far. So I'd be interested in seeing what distance. is the distance of recovered deer with pass-throughs versus recovered deer non-pass-throughs, if I can see that. But the other thing is with a pass-through, you get a pass-through when you're hunting, you have an arrow to inspect. You can make decisions based on that. If they take the arrow with you, not only do you not have a drain hole to give you more blood, 
but now you don't have a an arrow to inspect for blood stuff so it's always a good thing to have a passive whether it's more lethal or not if you don't you know if you don't think it's more lethal but it's it's always better i mean it gives you clues when we when i was younger and i, I don't know if you guys had similar experiences but first off my dad never let us shoot a mechanical broadhead he's like you know he had all these reasons and without you don't need it, to go wrong huh? yeah right right <laughs> that's pretty much what it was in a, in a nutshell is you know why take the risk of something going wrong but um w- one of the biggest factors you know with me my brother my buddies my dad and anybody at camp was always did you get a pass through you know and i feel like as you know mechanicals became more and more popular um th- that 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 question still pops up but it didn't ever feel as as um important as it did when i i guess before i was around people that were shooting mechanicals because at one point you know everybody in around me was using a fixed blade broadhead so it was always just a matter of like hey did you get a pass through okay what's the blood look like and you know you base your decisions off of that and i feel like it kind of just got tossed to the side and then this idea of cutting diameter started to take over um and bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah and i mean it just keeps continues to get crazier but like you said if you've got a bigger cutting di- diameter you know you're, you're creating more drag on that hit and then you may not get that exit hole and that's just so important it seems and i mean i just look at all the deer that i've personally shot it's like if there's a pass through it's just like unless it's high if there's a pass through it's just like so yeah I'm, I'm going back here to the last question of uh if it was a pass through what was the total distance i'm not doing advanced what was the total tracking distance 226 yards for recovered deer for yes for pass through for pass through and then uh it was 460 without really yeah. so, so shorter blood trails with pass throughs because they're they're laying down mm-hmm. sooner they're not they don't have something sticking mm-hmm. in them to, and that was my thought and that's a i guess i don't know why i didn't think to have you pull it up before it's interesting that is interesting because i feel that um you hear you hear it's people sticking in you sharp you, you wouldn't lay down either would you? <laughs> well the, the other thing is it's like okay go back and watch if, if you want a great example of of the shock that a deer can get when it gets hit by a arrow that doesn't pass through it is go back and watch um it was the same year ted shot the big buck in missouri is in that same series uh b mac from hushin was down hunting with those guys and he shot a buck and the pop that ha- i mean it's like whack and that deer immediately is full bore like afraid running you know and then you, you, you use a different example um well i mean from the same same hunt basically you know same same time frame same area ted shoots one passes through it and doesn't make the most perfect shot he actually shot in front of the shoulders and hit and hit some uh blood blood vessels or arteries there yeah but that deer acts complete you know acts quite a bit different the sounds different everything's a little bit different i mean but the list goes on and on of deer that you get this pass through and just watch examples like there's tons of them out there you can get on youtube and watch watch them endlessly oh, yeah I know, what, I know what it sounds like when you see those big cutting diameters hit and it's like pop it stops like it just goes in eight or ten inches and that deer is going nuts getting out of there yeah, yeah. It, it's they're feeling the pain and mm-hmm. that energy of that arrow hitting them 
and then you see those ones pass through it or quietly zip, yep. and it runs and stops and stands there while it's bleeding or goes back to eating sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I watched, uh, I filmed Bill Winky shoot one, one time and it was low and back, but the arrow passed right through and we backed out, went back the next morning, walked right in there and found the deer. He only went a hundred, 140 yards probably from where we shot him. And that's the situation where he shot a mechanical broadhead, but it was a small cutting diameter and that mm-hmm. arrow went straight through that thing. And I mean, that was, that was just one of those deals, I guess, where, um, you know, you know, it's not good. You back out, pass throughs in your favor and you still find the deer. Honestly, easy. That was easy. We didn't have to grid search. We didn't have to do anything. We basically walked right in on the trail, and found that deer. Um, you know, and there's tons of variables, but, um, yeah, is there anything that you guys wanted to add with the pass-through thing and, and anything oh. interesting there that you guys have? If not, I got other questions about Yeah, pass-throughs are a good thing. That's yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest takeaways, I think. Very good. good. Very good thing. So when you guys – when you're looking at these stats and, and um, you're going on a track, what, what do you think is the number one thing that goes wrong – when people shoot a deer and they don't find it, like it doesn't sound like it's guts necessarily. It doesn't sound like it's back. What, what are, what are the shot placement mistakes? Do you feel like? Uh, I'd say the most prevalent one. And I don't, I don't take, um, I should say I, I, I take these calls, but there's a lot of them. I talk to the hunter and, and they already know it's slightly not recoverable and they'll make the decision. Let me think about it. And I'll say, all right, call me back when you make a decision. Okay. We're not going to track it is a high shoulder, high shoulder shots. That seems to be the most common call or the most request for a tracking dog. And probably probably the most common shot placement where you don't recover the deer. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have my recovery rate for a high shoulder where the guy says, yeah, it's in the shoulder a little high. And I'm like, already thinking above the spine, probably just a non-lethal muscle hit. We recovered maybe a couple of those, and it wasn't because it was just meat. It got into one lung, and we got lucky and you know, pushed the deer, and it finally succumbed to it. But um, there's some trackers that don't ever recover those, you know, or mm-hmm. maybe cover recover one or two after hundreds of tracks. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the least likely least. track I want to take. <laughs> yeah, no man's land. And and I I tell a lot of people, you know, when you're aiming at a deer, aim for that bottom third because a deer like. Uh, Grant Woods said in one of his videos once, he said, deer do not jump up. They don't go up at the shot. They always go down. Gravity takes them down, and and they prepare for the shot. So you're always going to hit higher than where you're aiming, or you're going to hit where you're aiming. Mm-hmm. So if you aim for that bottom third towards the lower lower part of the lungs, the heart, um, and they drop, odds are you're going to get into the chest cavity, cavity in those shots. Mm-hmm. Um, the other common shot is back, liver, guts. And I think what happens is a lot of people um, shoot center of mass without really thinking about it. You know, they, they practice it on target. Maybe the could be the targets, you know, are just not anatomically correct. You see some of them, like the lungs are weird shaped yeah. and parts are not in the right spot. But it never looks good. Yeah. And I think <laughs> some of the other reasons is you've practiced shooting at deer targets. But in the moment of truth, that adrenaline, so and you get that pin on, they just shoot mm-hmm. for like, center of mass and they hit mid-body liver and guts which to a tracker like i said before is, is a good thing for us we obviously we don't want the deer suffering out there but right. we know that it's going to be a high probability of recovery with those shots 
and um and so those are kind of the, the two more common ones i think that's what you said about the target thing i think is a big big thing and i i, I want to talk about a little bit of personal experience that um i think any anybody that i talk to about hunting i'd like to you know for him to hear this because i think i learned a lot from it over the years my number one mistake when i was younger was shooting too high i'd get up in a tree stand and i'd look be looking down at these deer and i'd be trying to put the pin on the spot that i always practiced at from the ground and i'd shoot and i'd always hit them high i mean i shouldn't say always i shouldn't say always but if i if i had made a mistake that's where i made the mistake and in the heat of the moment, I was, you know, big buck comes in and you shoot. And next thing you know, you're watching the arrow barely dangling out of him up high above, you know, above the spine. And I mean, I just did it actually in 2019 on a buck that Greg ended up shooting with the muzzleloader. The buck survived. Just hit him too high above the lungs. And um, I guess it kind of goes, there's two, there's two reasons I believe that this happens. One is we practice on the ground and then in a standing comfortable position and then probably 90% of hunters then go right into a tree stand. The angle that that creates is so much different than what you're shooting at on the ground. So my advice would always be practice like you hunt as much as you can. I'm not saying getting reps in the backyard at a standing, you know, from a standing position is is not worthwhile but keep in mind that the way that that body shape is going to change Mm -hmm. when you get up is pretty dramatic i actually had a nightmare about that (laughs) 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 i had a nightmare that i was in a in a tree stand the other day and it was a little bit too too high and that created that weird angle and i was completely panicking and luckily it was a dream but um the other thing is as you mentioned the target don't to me it's like unless you're unless you're a hardcore competitive shooter don't aim for the 10 ring like if you habitually aim for that 10 ring you're already putting yourself aiming too high where Mm -hmm. i aim now is so much lower i mean i'd almost rather like damn near miss the deer target a 3d deer target than i would hit it in the 10 ring if i hit it in the 10 ring i missed the. i mean i might have wounded the deer now if he doesn't move Obviously, that's one thing. But like you said, Shane, their tendency is to load up to take off to run. Therefore, their body's dropping. And if you're putting it already at the 10 ring and he drops even two inches, you might be out of the game just like that. And I I think that's a – those are really the two reasons. And I feel like when I was younger, I never – nobody told me that that was a a thing, you know. So I'd go get up on a tree stand after practicing on the ground all summer and then – now that angle is completely different and the angle is different and the drop becomes even more of a thing, right? If you're up higher and the deer drops, it's, I mean, your, your, your margin for error is small. And, you, and you've got to aim a little higher from an elevated because you want to get an exit that's lower. And so now that yeah. dropping becomes even more uh, relevant. And now that results in a higher then, high shoulder hit sometimes. Like those extreme positions that you get in, it's you're, you're almost at an advantage to do instinctive shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, you're trying to use your sights in something they're not set up for, and you're trying to get all settled in, and you, you know you're going to be off just because of the angles and just the distance is traveling is different than 
you know, what, what you're practicing for. So when you get in those, you know, positions, it's almost instinctively you can do a better job in some some cases. But I was going to say with the 3D targets, I think a lot of people, too, try to almost play a game of hugging that that shoulder as close as they can, you know, trying to really get into that pocket. And then that can lead to, you know, sometimes shooting maybe a little bit too far front and creating issues. Um, it's okay to be a little bit back, just a little bit. Give yourself a little bit of room, you know, margin for error to, to have some, ultimately you don't want to be sticking the front shoulder. Yeah. I would, I would much rather someone hit back than high. I mean. Rather than trying to get that perfect slip right behind yeah, I mean, the shoulder, it just. See, see I, I somewhat disagree with that, though, personally, because I, my tendency is ne- I never hit back. I've never hit a deer back. It, it, so to me, it's like it's just about getting low. I want to make sure I'm trying to yeah, slip it. Now, sure. it's, and it might be come down to personal, personal experience and personal mistakes, too, right? So I think that's important. Break down your tendency. Like my tendency is to shoot high, especially from an elevated position. Yeah. And I, I like – I mean, that's one of the main reasons I started hunting off the ground is I like the shot angle better. It looks natural to me. That looks like what I've shot at my whole life in the backyard. So to me, shooting a deer on the ground is way easier than it is up at a tree stand. It gives me anxiety just thinking about it, you know, that weird angle. So, so you know, I think, I, I think just trying to think of what's a good, clean kill shot when you're shooting a 3D target is important is important to me to, to where like, you know, when I'm shooting with my dad and buddies, like I try to do a, a lot of times one of my favorite things to do when I'm shooting with people is just say, Hey, let's, you know, let's have a vote. We'll shoot two, three of us shoot. We'll go, go up to our three arrows and then we'll vote who wins this round based off who thinks that was the most likely to kill the deer. And, you know, and if you yep. do that, I think you, I think you're doing better than shooting it. Ten, ten. You know, played the game similar to that, but we were, we were, um, like it was a timer. It's like three, two, one, and whoever shot the deer first, and it was lethal. Yeah. Won that round. So it's like three, two, one, zero, and we both drew and had to get our sights on. It's like a rush situation. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. In a, a real closest to real world as you could be. You know, you don't want to rush your shots in the real world, but sometimes the adrenaline's going, the deer stepping through a gap, and you got to get your sights on it. it 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 made it fun and interesting um, yeah i think but, test i think testing any potential uh realistic shot like today i was shooting i was shooting i was drawing my bow behind a pine tree and then i was slowly easing out and i was shooting at nine maybe nine yards like to be honest that's probably higher odds than me ever shooting at 42 yards <laughs> you know what i mean it's like so so i guess just doing that in general um okay here's another question i have when i would say probably the most common um description of a blood trail that i hear is it's like made a shot thought it looked pretty good tracked the blood everything looked good everything there was really good blood and then all of a sudden there was nothing i tracked him for three quarters of a mile i tracked him for you know, 500 yards, whatever it may be, it seems like there's, you know, uh, uh, if there's one story like that, there's a million. What happened? Usually it's a muscle hit is what I tend to think. You have bright red blood. A lot of people think that's, oh, that's good lung blood or something. Yeah, Yeah. it's got some bubbles in it. And 
tracked it for typically what I hear is I tracked it for several hundred yards, good blood, and then it just stopped. And it wasn't like it slowly, it just stops, you know, just a couple specks and that ended. And that's usually typical of a muscle hit, high shoulder, you know, or a leg or something like that. And bubbles in the blood um, can be created by just blood hitting the ground. It creates bubbles mm-hmm. in, the, in the blood. And highly, <clears throat> highly oxygenated blood is bright red, you know, depending on where it's coming from. Is If it's going to the legs and not returning after the oxygen has been expended from the blood, it's going to be bright red. And so a lot of people have that, that thought that if it's bright red, that's a good thing. And, you know, not necessarily. It could be from anywhere on the body. Um, the only way to really <clears throat> tell where blood came from a lot of times is, you know, if there's stomach matter in there or gut matter. Um, really dark blood, because even blood that's coming back from portions of the body that have spent, expended the oxygen don't get that almost black looking blood that you'd get from the gut liver area. Mm. Um, and so you can kind of tell from that that spot. But yeah, those stories of attract good blood for this period of time and then it just stop or, you know, those usually mean not a good thing for me. Mm. Yeah. What hap- What's your opinion if you're tracking a deer? And you start finding a bunch of beds, but then all, but then like you come to come up with nothing. I've had that experience one time where it's tracking, and buddy shot a deer. It's tracking it. There was what seemed like a hit back. We're finding blood, pretty good blood, and found a bed, blood in it. Found blood leading to the next bed, to the next bed, to where I would say that we probably found ten plus beds and then all of a sudden just nothing to where it's like you kind of get to that point where you're like okay we're about to find this thing we're about to find this thing do you think that's just a jump jumped deer it it could be several things i I will say this i've i've had very little success recovering deer when i find a lot of beds really i don't know if they're just moving because they're a discomfort or if coyotes coyotes are continuing to push them or something like that but it seems like when I find maybe one wound bed or two at the most, I usually find the deer. Um, usually they, what they do is once they bed down the first time, they usually don't move. Um, they, that's where they expire. But I've, um, like I said, on the tracks, I can think of two or three off the top of my head where we found a bed and tracked 100 yards, another bed, and sometimes bed 20 yards apart, and we never found those deer. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just they were bed down because they, of the injury and discomfort, and maybe it was a non-lethal hit, and they eventually got up and moved off. Mm-hmm. Coyotes pushed them. I really don't have an answer for that. I just know that I haven't had much success fighting ones with lots of beds, wound beds. What's your What's your opinion on like a quarter two shot? Oh, I don't like this. At all. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people shoot them, and I've seen you guys take them, and 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 the high. Those a lot of people have success with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've shot one that I can remember, you know, in my life, and uh, actually two, and one I never, never saw it again. The other one I jumped, and I, I quit taking those shots. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought well, if I can get it in there, you know, you're going to get something. The problem with a quarter two shot, depending on how steep the angle is, you're looking at if you miss the heart and the main arteries in there, you're just getting a one lung, mm-hmm. and you're burying into the guts. Possibly, uh, you're not going to have a blood trail or exit hole a lot of times. So, I mean, um, you know, like I said, I've seen people shoot them and the deer runs over there and just pours blood out and dies within sight. But uh, mm-hmm. just for me personally, I don't like them. I, I won't take them myself. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say one way or another whether people should be taken or not. I mean, I don't. I guess I will. <laughs> I don't advocate for it. But if you're confident in your shot placement and you think you can get it in there and do the thing, that's that's on you, I guess. And uh, I guess you're looking at. Yeah. Was, well, I was just looking at some of the ones quarter two, and that that's surprising. I, I would say I don't have a number for it, but it's it's a a majority of the quarter two shots were lethal. There's not as many of them, but they were lethal. But they at the same, recovered. yeah, they were recovered. And, and they were recovered, yeah. So, but at at the same time, you know, it's a lot of these that were recovered because it's showing that a higher percentage for the quarter two was recovered versus not. But they probably said, "I'm gonna get a tracker. Maybe I don't yeah, have they blood." Have, they didn't have a blood trail or something. Right away, and and I was quartering two, and I might have, you know, this or that. And so maybe that's, you know, why we have a higher percentage of of those going through, you know, with with the tracking aspect of things. But, that, but there's there's not a whole lot of them, and it looks like a well, couple of them. Look at this are, mechanical. If I break into that. Oh, okay. A so lot, actually, a lot more mechanicals taken on quarter two. <laughs> yeah, the more more mechanical broadheads shot quarter and two. Now again, this is versus that's our. Interesting. That's yeah. just that's just our the ones I've tracked for. There's, tracked. There's yeah. like twice as many for mechanicals and and I don't know if what the, the reasoning behind that is what created that but i will say this i want to touch on before you think with quarter two shots are hitting like right in here it seems like most of them are behind the shoulder yeah. sure right. yeah so you're, they're, they're it's getting not right in the right in the chest so that might be why i have a know, high recovery because they're in the liver and guts and that's what that's your my, sweet spot right that's the, for the dog mm-hmm. yeah well mm-hmm. i i guess i i guess i will say my opinion too like you got to remember if you're listening to this, like my perspective is always ground. And I think most other, not all, but most hunters hunt deer from a tree stand. So if I was in a tree stand, I think quartering two shot, if it's, I mean, if it's close maybe, but like not as interested in it, I I, I don't think I would do it no matter what my arrow setup was. But again, my thought is when I'm visualizing a quarter two shot, I think on the ground, if that's the yep. case, I think anything inside of like 15 yards, and you got to, and you've got to close the right. Yeah, if I was on the ground, I will take. I'll take that back. What's If I was on the ground that's... hunting, which I'm starting to, and you've inspired me somewhat to do that, <laughs> especially using the uh, recurve more. I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't like hunting from an elevated position with a recurve. Just it seems unnatural. I would probably shoot one that came in in this marsh grass and it was eight yards in front of me, looking at me, and I'm gonna try and peg him. Boom. Um, the thing with elevated positions is what I was thinking earlier. If a deer is quartering to you, you know, at, at some point he's going to walk by you and be not quartering to you. Right. Right. Wait, so, you know? so just wait. Selective. Yes, and I and so, I agree with that completely. I think that's I think that's the number one thing is is you got to be realistic with the situation. That that's there's never a um, you know one size fits all for this answer because there's a lot of times if you really watch a deer next time you're watching some video just watch every step that deer takes and watch how much he exposes himself even in a broadside angle right where there's times where his front leg on your side is back you know that shot that's a tough shot too because he's blocking everything you know he's not as exposed versus the shot where he's you know maybe a quarter steps quartered away his his onside shoulders stretched way out like that's really exposing the heart and the lungs a lot easier for you so even within broadside there's there's a lot of very variability there 
sorry, I kind of just hit a hit a wall where I forget, didn't really have anything to follow up with. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess uh, I guess as far as like wrapping everything up, though, do you guys have um, any final thoughts as far as like just yeah, anything to any final thoughts to just help out bow hunters? Hmm. Opinion or fact? Yeah, I'm sure as soon as this is over, I'm gonna have a lot of them. But, um, <laughs> um, my number one thing, I guess, or one of my things is, what what are you pointing at? Well, I was just gonna mention just the quality of the track. Yeah, uh, that's for a tracker uh, as a hunter. I mean, if you're not sure, like I said, get a tracker on that, and or at least call one. And and you, if you, how bad do you want to find this deer? I want to find all my deer. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a doe, I get like the one in Nebraska I lost last year. That really it got to me bad because I, I haven't lost one in a while and, and it just messed with my head. Um, and But the one thing I guess to guys out there, bow hunters, is um, get your your setup to where you're shooting accurately. Don't, you know, um, you know make, be confident in your shots. Try not to rush your shot. I know it's easy to say sitting here at the table, but uh, in the woods, it's a lot different. But I think that's what results a lot of times people trying to thread something in where they shouldn't, mm-hmm. trying to make those iffy shots. Uh, it's not the end of the world if you don't get a shot on the deer. Mm-hmm. Don't try to make it like, oh, I've got to get this deer. You know, uh, just you know, play, it, play it smart and, and try to make the best shot you can. And if you don't, then try not to muck up the track so yeah. we can find it for you. Yeah. I think that's a good point, man. I mean, like you said, it's easy to say sitting here at the table. It's easier to say the more you, every year that goes by that you hunt, it's a little bit easier to say, hey, you know, let it go. It's like, but yeah, it, it, it's still one of those things. Like, right. it's your, I get the easier it is for me to let it go. Oh, I mean, hell yeah. I mean, you're just like, <laughs> oh, okay, no big deal. I know, I know I got a, a decent chance, you know. And, it, and I think the one thing that I look back on when I was younger is you do feel like it's the like if you don't get this opportunity it's going to be the end of the world and i think that as you gain more experience you start to realize that that couldn't be further from the truth sometimes it's just like you know you let that opportunity go and you're like ah man should i have shot and then within you know 20 minutes boom here comes another bigger buck or whatever you know it's just like i've been in that situation too or i think it's i think it's just so important to be patient, be realistic, take good shots that you're confident in. And like, I'll tell you one thing that helps me and it sounds so simple is I visualize a ton and that visualization makes it so that when I draw back in real life, it's like, I either know, or I, you know, it's like, it's either this is going to be perfect or I'm not shooting. And I think yeah. that's not always going to be hundred percent true. Like I said, I hit that one high in uh, 2019. Like that's not, 100% true but when I pull the trigger my confidence is at 100% that I'm going to drill that deer and I think you know if you keep that in mind as you're in real life situations you know that's hopefully going to hopefully help yeah, out. That's, that's a big part of it like uh, there's a lot of times when I'm when I pull back and I'm aiming at a deer I'm very confident I feel you know, I feel like if I release the air it's going to hit right where I and then there's times where no matter the deer is only 25 or 30 yards away and it just doesn't feel right. And I just know something's not going to, it's not going to go well. Yep. And and there've been instances where I went ahead and shot anyway and it didn't end well. Yeah, you know, exactly. Shot right over his back or something. I was yeah. like, what? I, I, something told me it didn't feel right. And, and it, 
obviously it showed getting getting up you know into a new setup you know you're on public land and you're getting up in the morning and you know it's everybody's had that problem where it should have been in that tree over there yeah now i got all this stuff in front of me and you're trying to force shots um or just just trying to get everything set up so you give yourself the best opportunity and you're not trying to reach out past those 40 yard shots and then give yourself you know the best opportunity possible with it yeah yeah, I just think that I think that um, it, it, a lot of it comes down to experience for sure. That's like probably the number one thing and calming yourself down. But you know, just keeping that in mind that if you, and, and, you know, here's the thing: if you feel like you're 100 percent going to make the shot, I mean, you probably are, right? It's like yeah. if you if you've got that much uh, composure to where you're like, okay, this is now's the time, boom, like that's generally yeah, confidence usually means that you practice and you 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 know you feel very mm-hmm. relaxed like, like for instance for me turkey hunting and there's a lot of people say how do you stay so composed when you're videoing and yourself filming and killing and i've done it so many times and and i've gotten so used to it that it's like part of the hunt you know it's second nature i don't even think about it but it, like on your first hunt imagine you out there self filming your first hunt oh you're a nervous wreck trying to get oh yourself. yeah yeah it's just and so i think with more experience it it helps and then like the reason you're confident because you prepared yeah and you Mm -hmm. practice and you've had experience in you know other hunts and so that just comes with time but uh practice really makes it will help in that regard i also in in some people probably think it's ridiculous but ever since i was a kid i've visualized like visualized sports visualize i visualized like before uh, a baseball or football game the night before I would just like go to sleep just thinking about you know making those plays mm-hmm. same thing happens like now every night when I go to sleep I just picture you know making that perfect shot you know making those perfect moves and it, it, it it's I think it is important because it just it just boosts your confidence right it's like you've yeah. seen it before even if you maybe you've haven't been there. That, yeah well, yeah even if it's just in your mind like you've been there I think it's, it's yeah, even visualizing just seeing the deer coming in, what it's doing and from what direction, and then, you know, trying different scenarios. But I did the same thing in sports. Um, and you even, like, visualize just on the bus ride there to, like, you know, I did track. So on the track meet and, you know, going through and I did triple jump. And what's the reaction after? And, yeah. and having all these positive thoughts, but you do it over and over. And, I mean, you're not yeah, nervous. Well. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> Good. It puts you, it puts you in there like you've been there before. Then yeah. I think it's awesome. I think it's, I think yeah. it's. Some people could view it as silly, but I, I, I see no, no point in building your confidence by just, you know, seeing yourself perform well, and and, and it definitely goes for bow hunting as much, honestly, as much as anything, visualizing that shot because, again, you visualize it, then you know what you're expecting, you know what you're looking for when you're in the heat of the moment. But anyway, all right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for coming on here and talking track and i enjoyed it hope you guys did too all right thanks for listening everybody